Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Pop Shop Podcast Headliner Interview Edition. My name's Chris Payne. I'm a staff writer at Billboard. I host this podcast every week. I sit down and have a conversation with an interesting, inspirational voice in the world of music. I often look back on someone's life story, breaking into music, and what they do today. And that really applies with this week's guest. It's country singer-songwriter Brandi Clark. She's up for two Grammys at the big show next weekend. She's a six-time Grammy nominee in all. Uh, This time around, both nominees come from her 2016 album, Big Day in a Small Town. We heard some of that record just at the top of the show just now. You'll hear more of it later on. It's only her second studio album on her own name, but she's been active in country music for a while. She's 41 now. She's spent a great deal of her life working towards what she does. She's was born in Washington State, grew up there, small town, came to Nashville, worked for years just to get a publishing deal. We'll get into what that means and how that really is a foot in the door. She was then writing songs for other artists. You might know her. She helped write Mama's Broken Heart by Miranda Lambert, Follow Your Arrow, and lots of other songs by Casey Musgraves. And now she's here, Brandi Clark, releasing great music under her own name, took a while to get there and I really hope she wins her first Grammy this year I'm definitely rooting for her in her corner and so I hope you enjoy this podcast I think if you especially are someone looking to get into country music this will give a little window into how it works what mechanisms exist inside that industry and how an outsider can get involved and we'll also give later on in the show me and Brandon chat about another podcast you can check out of breaking into country music is what you're into we got a suggestion for you so all right that's all I have to say. Go to iTunes when you're done. Give us feedback. Star rating helps so much with everything we do. Here it is. My chat with Brandy Clark. Brandy Clark, thanks so much for coming by. Oh, thanks for having me. I should say double Grammy nominee, Brandy oh, Clark. Oh, thank you. That's always nice. You yeah. know, when you get nominated for a Grammy, you know what your obituary will say, you know? <laughs> Uh, or you know, at least part of it. Maybe the maybe the headline. Because <laughs> previously you could just say, just Grammy nominee, but now mm-hmm. double Grammy because it was just one the last time. Well, no, I've actually not to not to brag, but I've been nominated six times. You're right. Yeah, because I was I was think I forgot about the song writing nominations. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean I've had four as an artist and and two as a writer, so it's pretty pretty amazing. So for the record, since I was already wrong, let's break it down. What what were the individual ones? Well, I was nominated for um, Best Country Song, I think it was 2014 for Mama's Broken Heart, for Miranda Lambert. The next year, I was, I was nominated for um, Best Country Album for 12 Stories and Best New Artist. And then 2015, which is what you were thinking of, I was nominated for Best Song for Hold My Hand, which was a song off of my record 12 stories and then this year i'm nominated for best country performance which is one i've never been nominated for Mm -hmm. for a song called love can go to hell and then best country album with big day in a small town so you're used to this well i don't know if you ever really get used to it you know and you don't want to get too used to it because you don't want to expect it like i've never expected it and that's probably part of why it's happened you know i always hope for it and getting a grammy nomination is such a pat on the back and 
it's more than a pat on the back. I mean, but I, I always tell people, and I mean it, that it's it's really the win. Like when those nominations come out and you're listed, that's really the big win. I mean, I'm sure winning a Grammy is, you know, possibly an even bigger win. I don't know. I've, I, um, I have had the fortune, the great fortune of winning a CMA, and so I know that the for me the feeling of winning was not all that different from being nominated. You know, and and um, because it is great to think, okay, I'm amongst the top five in this category according to my peers. And, you know, especially with the Grammys because the voting with the Grammys is a little different than than other award shows. You know, not just anyone can be a Grammy voter. You have to have a certain number of album credits. And so it's a pretty, pretty, pretty high honor. Mm-hmm. And you have all different people across all genres voting sometimes mm-hmm. for the yes. categories. Yes, you do. And that's another thing that feels pretty great is that you, you realize that people outside of your own genre are are really paying attention to what you do and are aware of you. You know, I, I, I think being in Nashville, a lot of times I, I'm in sort of a bubble. And to know that people outside of that bubble know what, what I do is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, you came from Washington State, so I feel like at least in your songwriting, your worldview, you probably have a lot to fall back on outside of that bubble. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I when I say in that bubble, kind of creatively in that bubble, you know, I live a lot outside of that um, just because a, a lot of things interest me and, and a lot of different kinds of people interest me. And, you know, growing up in a small town is definitely different than living in Nashville, per se, or definitely different than New York or LA but I draw on a lot of that a lot of those experiences a lot of those people that I still know and am friends with from where I'm from small towns seems to have influenced the new album yes you know I always wanted to make a record that paid homage to small towns um I didn't know when I would do that but when when I wrote the song big day in a small town I thought oh that would be that would be an amazing album. Even when I got that idea, a friend of mine um, who had lived in Nashville and moved home to Oklahoma, she posted on Facebook one day, I went to town twice and washed my hair. Now that's a big day in a small town. And I thought, that's a great, that's a great idea. And, and I, I instantly, that resonated with me having come from a small town and, and just the, knowing the pace at which the town moves. And it's resonated with so many people, you know, people in high places with critics and Grammy voters, and probably a lot of them didn't come from small towns, or they're not even maybe part of Nashville. They might be from other genres, like you're talking about the voters. Why do you think your album, your music, has caught on with so many people? Well, I think that, you know, even though it is a loose concept concept album that, to me, all takes place in the same small town, I think the 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 truths in it are very universal. You know, there are the 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 guy who produced this record, Jay Joyce. He made a real point of let's not be so on the nose. Like let's not make every song so small town centric. Like we need songs like Love Can Go to Hell and um, You Can Come Over. Um, and I think those songs can resonate with anyone who has a heart. And mm-hmm. uh, so I think that's it. I think there's a realness in these songs that that people gravitate towards and, and a realness that is sometimes a little bit unpretty, you know, and, and I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. And love can go to hell is the one nominated for best country song. Mm-hmm. Have you thought at all about your chances? Do you think about the other nominees and that sort of thing? You know, I honestly don't. 
you know, it never really hits me that there's a chance it could win. I mean, you have little moments where you think, oh, wow, what if it won? Uh, there are little moments, but not until they read the nominees do you mm-hmm. really think, oh, they could read my name after they read all these names. Um, so, so no, I haven't given it much thought about chance. I guess, you know, everybody has a 20% chance, you know, yeah. one in five. And then some of the nominee or some of the categories are awarded before the award show, mm-hmm. and then some are awarded on air. So there's that difference. So, at least for the people watching, like when you were nominated for best new artist for just the the world at large, that was one when they actually got to see you for like a few seconds yeah. on the screen with all with Sam Smith and uh-huh. everyone else who was nominated that year. Yeah, you know the the pretail, um, which I've I've got one this year in the pretail and then one in the televised portion. The pretail is right before the televised portion, and I want to say they give out something crazy like eighty three awards mm-hmm. or something. And you just you know you go over there. It's at the Nokia Theater, and you just wait and go eat at. There's a great little. Um, Chinese restaurant there a lot of people go in there and eat or a pizza place and waiting for you know you know the five categories before yours and then you go in there and sit down and they they have some great performers at the at the pretel as well so you're you're kind of used to this yeah you know I hope I just get more and more used to it you know it's a nice it is a nice thing to be a part of what is a red carpet for the Grammys like huge it's it's a it's the biggest red carpet I've ever been on you know I'm sure it's it probably there are probably very few that are bigger mm-hmm. uh you know the last time i was on it would have been when i was up for best new artist and had a great publicist who ran me around and you know didn't kill me on it because i had some crazy uncomfortable shoes uh but it's 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 big and bright and fast and furious and um the place to be yeah because people watching only see small bits of it mm-hmm there's like a whole frenzy of photographers, right? Don't the photographers kind of yell things to get the people's attention? They do. I mean, that's a, what's called the step and repeat. Uh-huh. And definitely, yeah. Um, and I mean, I think some of them want to get you in a real at a real bad angle. Not all of them, hmm. but and that's probably my least favorite part of the carpet because it is just a lot of flash bulbs and a lot of people yelling at you to look their way. And um, but you know, it's probably the most flattering light you're going to ever be in in your whole life, right there. What do you think of red carpet questions? Like, what do you get asked? You know, a lot of it is, who are you excited to see? That's a lot A lot of times what you hear. And then, um, you know, um, what are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Which I have a tendency to forget, so I usually have a little <laughs> piece of paper to tell me. Um, you know, what are you nominated for? A lot of people, well, they usually know right before you get to them. They're prepped and... And, you know, how do you feel about this record or this song? And, you know, what does, what, how does country music play into the Grammys? Those mm-hmm. sorts of questions. I can picture just, like, you and your publicist huddling inside the car right before you come out to the red carpet. Like, okay, they're probably going to ask this question. They're going to mm-hmm. ask this. We're going to walk here. We're going to avoid this, avoid mm-hmm. these people. <laughs> Is it like that? It is, well, yeah, I mean, you try to have a game plan, but... Then a lot of times, you know, you're waiting and all of a sudden Lady Gaga steps on the carpet and it's like, oh, we want to talk to her, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, you just, you just, they, those publicists, I mean, they, they, they know how to do it. They're like, I don't know, like running backs looking for the hole in the line, I think. Okay, I like that analogy. Yeah. Probably this year you'll get a lot of questions about Sturgill because he's nominated alongside you for album and also for the main category. Yeah. 
I love Sturgill Simpson. I played a, a show with him. He and Jason Isbell. It would have been October 2015. Oh, that's a really good show. Yeah, it was a great show. Um, and it was in Alabama. Um, I love both of those guys, and, and I, I feel like Sturgill's pretty fearless in the music that he makes, but really, really true to himself. And, and as an artist, I really respect that. Yeah. Cool. Let's drop in some music. This is Love and Go to Hell. So we talked a little bit about the present, about the Grammys, about the new album. I want to go back because a lot of what I like to do on this podcast is tell people stories and how they got to uh-huh. where they are. And with you, there's a lot before just putting out two albums and yeah. getting some Grammy nominations. So what? when was it? How old were you? How did you first leave Washington and come to Nashville? Probably a good place to start. Yeah, well, I started playing guitar when I was nine, and, uh, and it came... It, it, it happened because I saw the I loved music my family we all loved music but I saw the movie Sweet Dreams about Patsy Cline and then the movie Coal Miner's Daughter about Loretta Lynn I don't know which I think Coal Miner's Daughter came first but those two movies made me want to be a singer and a songwriter <clears throat> probably more than any anything else and so I grew up like a lot of kids and played sports and was into all the social aspects of high school and when I got into college though the music bug bit me really hard and I I started saving up money to move to Nashville, and as soon as I could, I did, and and I moved. Um, I guess it would have been 1997, and I um I went to finished up my education at Belmont University while I pursued singing and songwriting, and and I you know it took me five years I think to get a publishing deal, and I worked a lot of odd jobs even after I had that publishing deal you know to make ends meet, and you know, came to Nashville definitely wanting to make my own records. But somewhere along the way, I, I went down the songwriter path a little a little harder. And I think it was because I saw a lot of um, a lot of my friends who were getting record deals and being successful at, at the artist portion of it were really focused on some things that I wasn't. Mostly, like, the aesthetics of it, I like to say. Like, the hair and the makeup and all that stuff. And that wasn't me. And so mm-hmm. I started to think, oh, I mean, I was just interested in ooh, I want to learn that new groove, or what's that crazy chord in that song, and I, I want to write a song with that chord in it. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm not an artist, and maybe I'm a, just a songwriter. Not that just a songwriter is bad, but but I sort of put those artist aspirations away, and I, I did make an EP, and I would sell it at writer's nights and stuff, and and then a management company heard that in some, some demos I had done and approached me about making a record, and, and I said yeah and it was crazy to me how how quickly I started dreaming that dream again that Mm. I thought was was done and and made 12 stories with Dave Brainerd who produced a a wonderful record and put that record out you know with the help of a a label in Texas called Slate Creek Records and then Warner Brothers picked it up and there was a guy at Warner Brothers Dan McCarroll who signed me who really really was a, a huge champion for me and still is and you know, he always tells me he's my ride or die guy and just believes in my in the music I'm making and, and getting it heard. And 
So after after the I think it was after the Grammys um twenty fifteen we started looking at making another record and, and that's how Big Day in a Small Town started and he encouraged me to, to think about working with Jay Joyce, who I had been a fan of, and but was a little scared because I hadn't worked with him, and you just never know. And but I, but I, you know, narrowed down some songs and got to about 24 songs, and went in and met with Jay, and he then narrowed that down to 13 or 14, and we recorded those songs, and then 11 of them became Big Day in a Small Town. Wow, that's a really, really good synopsis oh, of thanks. how you got to where you are now. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's like the press release, the the biography uh, right there. Well, thank <laughs> you. And I mean, you know, a lot happened that I didn't include, but it would it would bore people, you know, right? It's funny, though. A lot of people think that I had a lot of songwriting success, and then I had the opportunity to make a record. And the truth is, when I got the opportunity to make a record, I hadn't had a hit yet as a writer. I always say there's a lot of... There's a lot of songwriters who are failed artists turned songwriters. I said I was a failed songwriter turned artist, mm-hmm. you know, because I had a, a lot of songs that it really bothered me that that the world wasn't hearing. And then when I got the my opportunity, Hold My Hand was one of those songs. And um, when I had the opportunity to make my own record, I, I thought this is why that didn't get the shot I thought it deserved. You know, it was meant for me. And and I feel that way about the songs that I record on my own. Yeah, and what? So at the very because there's a lot to take out of that, a lot to mm-hmm. that I'm interested in. At the very beginning, you mentioned it took five years to get a publishing deal. Mm-hmm. What did that take? And just for so people can understand, what does it mean? How why is it a big step to get that publishing deal? That's a great question. You know, it's it's a big step because what it means is that somebody believes in you in you and your songwriting enough to pay you essentially to do it. I mean, it's a recoupable draw, but it still makes it so that you can devote a lot, if not all, of your time to songwriting, which is what it what it eventually takes. I think you know, it's hard to compete with writers who are writing essentially forty hours a week when you're maybe getting four hours a week because you're waiting tables and, mm-hmm. you know, dri- or driving Uber or whatever it is. I drove for a company called Kid Taxi that picked kids up from school so that I could write in the morning time when I was fresh and then work in the afternoon and evening. Um, so, and, and, you know, publishers front you the money to pay for demos and, and to live, essentially. So it's a pretty big deal. And then the, they're, they, they're the people that, record labels and artists are looking to for songs so there's some connections there and some relationships that you know have taken many many years to build that a new songwriter wouldn't have and do you think was around getting this publishing deal was that sort of what made you choose at that crossroads between artist and songwriter that pushed you more toward because it sounds like this is more of a songwriter thing yeah I mean I well I don't think it was that necessarily because a lot of times a publishing deal leads to a record deal Mm -hmm. sometimes people get both at the same time um but it was really just feeling like i had the heartbeat of a songwriter Mm -hmm. you know and in and you know a lot of times i think i mean luckily for me it's not always but a lot of times people who um get record deals are people who want to be stars like they want to be famous. Right. There's an element of that. And I don't really have that in me. I mean, 
I, look, I like, I, I love attention as much as the next person, and and I love recognition. Like, mm-hmm. for example, Grammy nominations. I, I love recognitions, recognition from my peers. But I've never been that person who thought I got to. I'll be famous no matter what. Like I'll go on a reality show. I'll do whatever it takes. That's not me. So that was that was more of what what made me think. Okay, maybe the artist part is not me. But I sure am lucky that somebody saw saw it in me mm-hmm. enough to take a chance. Yeah, I've heard people say it's a, like a ten year town and how long it takes to get stuff done it took me i think i was like 15 years in when i had my first hit okay now i was getting cuts along the way and i had a lot of near misses you know a lot of songs that were recorded and fell off records or recorded by artists who got dropped from the label you know those those kinds of things were were heartbreaking along the way but then all of a sudden everything sort of clicked at once you know i I had the opportunity to make a record right about the same time I started having hits and it just all kind of it all came together. Yeah, and I should shout out where I got that 10-year town. Mm-hmm. I'm using air quotes. Is from the podcast This Nashville Life which we were just talking about hosted by Kelly Bannon. Oh yeah. Who gives a, a, she cuz she's been in this songwriting game too and yes. done the artist on the songwriting so it's a really good way for fans to get a behind the scenes peek at this. Oh yeah, she's doing some great stuff with that podcast i i haven't seen the podcast but i've read her blog and and i and i think it's very informative for people who aren't in the music business Mm -hmm. and for people who are but you know definitely if if you're looking at it from the outside it's what she's saying is is right on the nose Mm -hmm. and i was thinking are there any other people right now who are sort of in that place where you were who are songwriting on a lot of good songs but because they're not artists yet lead artists yet you think like People don't know a lot about them now, but they maybe will soon. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, um, like, for example, Natalie Hemby just put out a record um, called Puxico, and she, you know, she's been very, a very successful songwriter longer than I've been. And I think now people are, are just getting the opportunity to hear her as an artist. Lori McKenna, Lori's always made records, but I feel like lately there's been a, a bigger spotlight on her. You know, she's nominated for. I think four Grammys this year. Um, and, and as long as I've known Lori, she's always had the artist portion of her career as well. But, you know, a lot of people might be more familiar with her songs like Girl Crush and Humble and Kind. And, and I think the music that um, both, of the, both of those women are making is, is really important. All I know is how to wreck Casey, who you've worked with so extensively. Well, she's known now, but she was sort of on that songwriting. Yes. You know, I I forget that because to me, Casey's always been such a big star, you know, like I I met her, you know, pretty close, pretty close to when all that started to happen. You know, I wrote with her, I guess I'd known her a year, maybe a little more before uh, Same Trailer, Different Park came out, but she's a great talent and that's, she's another great example. You are right about that. Yeah, the first time I saw you and her, you were opening for her at Bowery Ballroom. Oh, okay. That was a yeah. fun time. 
Fun time. I think that was my first time in New York, maybe. I stayed in Chinatown. I remember that. Were you the one who got her to start writing lyrics about weed? No, she, you know, she was already doing that. But <laughs> I think my song Get High was what made her want to write with me. I think she felt, okay. a, felt a commonality. Kindred spirits. Yeah, in that. Yeah, and just also wanted to talk about another famous co-write you had, Mama's Broken Heart. Mm-hmm. How did, just in a nutshell, how did that one come together? Because it was... Casey played that at that show, I remember. Yes. Well, I was, you know, that was with Casey and Shane McAnally. And Shane had had an idea for a long time, Ain't Your Mama's Something. He didn't know what the something was. And he had run that by me, and I was, and I totally got it. And I said, man, I would love to write that with you. Like, you know, you don't have to save it for me, but please do, because, because I understand that, what you're trying to get at. And Casey came in one day to write with the two of us and, Shane was talking about his mom and his sister, and his sister had had this breakup, and his mom thought she ought to be handling it one way, and she was handling it another. And and I said, maybe that could be that Ain't Your Mama's thing. Mm-hmm. And somehow we stumbled on Ain't Your Mama's Broken Heart. I don't know why it wasn't so obvious, but um, but we stumbled on that and wrote it. And um, and I remember leaving that day thinking, yeah, that was good. And and then, but you just never know. And, and then Casey went home and, and did a little demo of it where she played a couple of guitars and put some hand claps in it. And and um, and then it started to take on a little different life. And Miranda Lambert heard it and wanted it. And, you know, Casey had wanted it for her first record. And But Miranda, you know, said, hey, if, if you'll let me record it, I'll let you sing on it, that kind of thing. And, and uh, so it all worked out in the end. Yeah, musically, it reminds me a lot of Girl Next Door on your album. Oh, thank you. This, that, that's my favorite track on the album, because it just has that big thundering chorus with the, like, the beat so succinctly underneath it, just driving it. Oh, with both thank songs you. That, yeah. Thank you. That's, I love that comparison. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both of those, I mean, I, both of those, musically, I had that little, little like, riff going mm-hmm. on on both of those. So there's that's maybe what's very similar about them. And Shane is on both. Yes, he is. He is. That's also what's very similar about them. Yeah. Why do you think, yeah, because those are two songs, and you've done a bunch with them, and those two mm-hmm. are so good. Why do you think you have such a good rapport with him? Well, you know, we like what each other does. That's a big part of it. You know, we don't we don't have to fight each other to have our way. And um, and we, we see this world very similarly. And uh, I think that's a huge part of it. Sometimes you can sit in the room with someone who's great and it not be great because they just don't see things the same way you do. And when I say the world, I mean bigger picture, mm-hmm. you know. And he and I see characters simil- similarly. And, you know, Shane's a great... I, I've never met somebody who's quite as good as Shane at bringing out the best in other people. He's really, really good at that. And definitely for me, I've been fortunate to collaborate with him a lot and he definitely brings out a part of me that's really good that that I that I love to to put down and and have the world here. Good good people in the writing room sounds yes, very important. That's one of the huge that's 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 probably, you know, 99% of it right there. <laughs> cool. That's just about everything I have at my end. I okay. touched on a lot of what I want. Is there anything else you wanted to put out there? No, you know, just a uh, I got two records, uh, 12 Stories in Big Day in a Small Town. I'd love it if, if anybody listening bought them both. And uh, I look forward to another record. I'm, I'm working on writing it right now. And uh, okay. can't wait for the world to hear that. If there's any Grammy voters listening, check those out. Huh? 
I think the I think the deadline's already happened, but just in yeah, case. you never know. Just there'll be case. there'll be more Grammys. Twenty more yeah, Grammys. twenty uh, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen yeah. Grammy voters. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Way to pay it forward. <laughs> Thanks like so that. much. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. That is the show. So check out Big Day in a Small Town, now that you're done with the podcast. That is the name of her record. came out late last year. I'm not even from a small town. I'm from a medium or pretty big-sized town. I live in New York City now. But I still found plenty to relate to there. If you need a starting point, a first song to listen to, Girl Next Door by Brandy Clark is the jam. Check that one out. You'll love it. And yeah, thanks so much to Brandy for taking the time out to do the podcast. This conversation was just after she came through and did a Facebook Live performance in Billboard's office in New York that we put up on Facebook for everyone to watch. Her team came through with her and brought us lunch. It was it was wonderful. It was just so great to hang with them. So Always so much fun working with good people who put good things out into the world, like Brandy Clark's music. So yeah, that's uh, that's the show. This interview segment, the headliner interview, me talking to an artist, all different genres. That happens every Thursday within this pop, within this podcast, the Pop Shop Podcast. I'll be back next Thursday with an interview with another artist who I can't quite reveal right now, but look on my Twitter for some hints. There's some hints there, and Keith and Katie's episode of Pop Shop. We'll be here in a couple days. They'll go deeper with their Grammy predictions, all the Grammy news and stuff. That's your source for that. A couple days away. So, yeah. That's it for me. Chris Payne signing off. Until next week, take care, guys. Bye.